Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. And today, we are monks at heart, scientists at mind, and philosophers at conscience. I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. Today, we are going to be covering a couple of my homebrew monk archetypes that I've made for 5th edition. The monk has always been one of those classes that I never really liked. I just did not find any joy in playing a character that wore no armor and had to punch things to death with his hands. In a world where magic exists and in a world where the knight in shining armor with his full plate and greatsword can go and chop things. But the 5th edition monk fixed a lot of the issues that I had with the monks, especially in 3rd edition. Because 3rd edition monks were one of those classes where you had to babysit them until they hit like level 7, 8-ish before they really started to come online, and never having played any games that really started at a high enough level for the monk to really come into its own, it rankled me a lot, and I had a very negative view of monks for a very long time. Now, see, for me, I have the exact opposite feel of monks, and you can tell that Ian plays the heavily armored cleric and paladin. Those are his bread and butter. For me, I kind of liked the monk. I liked the concept of that mastery of self, that awareness, the idea of, you know, an extremely high dex proficiency to your armor was always something I really liked. Now, like Ian did say, in 3rd edition and 3.5, the monks were super slow to get online, as he put it. You know, they were, they took a lot of babysitting. You had to kind of keep them in the back before they finally got enough of their key points and their flurry of blows and their extra attacks. But once they did, they could dismantle some monsters easily. And so going back to the old Salvatore books and things like that, I kind of like the concept of the monks, the way they were put in there. So while they're generally neglected and they're not the first thing you think about when you think D&D, the monks definitely have their place. And the monk class is one of the few holdovers from the original Oriental Adventures that came out 83, 84, I think it was. We talked about it a bit when Emily was on in our cultural appropriation episode, where we briefly touched on all of the problems inherent in the Oriental Adventures book. But that book was where the monk class first appeared in D&D. Right, and that was the whole 80s, and there was the Kung Fu show with David What's-His-Face. I can't remember. Carradine? Yeah, that, and, you know, all the Karate Kid things. That was a really big thing. Martial arts had a real big resurgence, Bruce Lee and all that in the 80s, late 70s. But particularly by the time you got in third edition, like I said, a lot of the way, even through some of the old D&D, like the Salvatore books and whatnot. And the concept of the monk strayed, thankfully, pulled away from that stereotypical Oriental Shaolin monk and became more like a philosophy of body and perfecting the body in one's movement. And so monks weren't just necessarily, like I said, yoga masters or someone who sat on a temple, but they were boxers or brawlers or people that trained their body and their training became their meditation and that became their world. And so in that form, I really do enjoy the philosophy behind the monks. So going ahead and diving in a little bit, the two archetypes that I have, the first one is called the Way of the Swallow. And the reason why I created this particular archetype is because the whole area of thrown weapons in 5th edition was completely neglected. You had this small handful of weapons but you didn't really get any bonus for actually using a thrown weapon. It was almost like the designers didn't want you throwing weapons. And 
I had a player who wanted to make a character based off of the old Master Thrower prestige class from 3rd edition. And I read through it and it didn't translate very well into 5th edition. But I went and started tinkering with it and I was trying to decide which class to start with as the base for this. I had four classes up front that were contenders. I had the fighter, had the monk, had the ranger, and I had the rogue. And I was pairing them down. Each one had its merits. The rogue, obviously, with sneak attack. And the fighter, obviously, with their four attacks, with their extra attack feature. But the monk just really felt right for this. And so I ended up sticking with the monk. The progression of the archetype felt better with the monk because there weren't any huge gaps as you went along, so it felt more like a natural progression. The ability to tie it to key points really helped. The whole deflect missiles ability that comes baseline in the monk really just felt right, where you're already being able to catch something and throw it back. So there's already a throwing aspect built into the monk. And so that just ultimately sold me on this one. Yeah, this really feels right. Of the two, if I would have gone anything, you know, you go with the rogue with the thrown knife. But the monk with generally unarmed or with a quick-use weapon, the being able to kind of just manage and, and sneak off a quick attack, reach into your vest or doublet and toss something out. Not to delve back into the whole stereotypical thing, but kind of like the ninja with the throwing stars or something along those lines. But that quick, subtle, small attack... I agree. It does feel thematically correct with the monk. And so, what do you say we just go ahead and start on in? Alrighty. Alright, so the progression for the monk with the archetypes, you get abilities at 3rd, 6th, 11th, and 17th levels. So your basic things at level 3 are just a foundational thing set in there to give your monk the flavor for your tradition. It's there to establish that you are actually this type of monk now. You're not just a generic monk. You are this specific type of monk. You're specializing. You are. You are specializing. So at third level, I've broken it down as two abilities. Both of them are fairly passive abilities, but you kind of have to have both of them in order to make the class work. And I could have combined it into one ability, but it would have just been very wordy. So the first one is Master Thrower. You've gained a reputation with your ability to accurately throw your weapons. Starting at third level, you may treat daggers, darts, hand axes, and light hammers as monk weapons when used to make thrown weapon attacks. When making a thrown weapon attack with these weapons, you may draw the weapon as part of the attack. That last little caveat is important because... Rules is written in 5th edition, even a thrown weapon counts as drawing a weapon, and you can only draw a weapon once per turn. So you wouldn't be able to draw and throw two weapons once you got your extra attack without this extra bit of wording. Now in Tasha's, they finally added the thrown weapon fighting fighting style to the fighter, which gives you that ability plus bonus damage with thrown weapon attacks. I decided to leave that bonus damage off of this, so that way the monk would be able to pick that feat up later if they wanted to, to get that little bit of extra bonus damage. 
I also like that you gave the extra weapons and you classified them as monk weapons because the monks don't get a lot of weapons. More so, they get them in 5th edition than they did in 3rd or 2nd. But even still, if you've got a monk and you're still using your dagger as your monk weapon and you choose to use that as an actual, that still counts as a monk weapon. So it kind of gives your monk a little bit more malleability or plasticity on how they're going to play or how the table's going to react to things. So it also gives your monk a few more options as well of what kind of, of weapons or gear it wants to equip. Well, all simple weapons and I think short swords are classified as monk weapons, but only for melee attacks. So I had to specify that these four simple thrown weapons can be used as monk weapons for thrown weapon attacks. That was the specific and, yeah. purpose for this particular ability. And that's what I'm saying. I like that it gives specializing in thrown weapons, but it does give the monks a little more malleability. And I do see now where it says that the monks were, yes, all simple weapons. That is correct. That don't have the two-handed or heavy property. So you can't use it with a great club, but you can. Why not? <laughs> but you can use a quarterstaff because a quarterstaff is a versatile weapon and not a two-handed weapon. Right. And that quarterstaff, that goes back to one of your long-standing traditional monk rules. So yeah, definitely. My kobold monk has a plus one quarterstaff that you gave him because we looted it off of that lizard folk shaman. That is correct. And he breaks things with it. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> it is. And then the other ability that you get at third level is you choose one of those four weapons, daggers, darts, hand axes, or light hammers, to specialize in. And so when you make a thrown weapon attack with your specialized weapon, you get to add the weapon's damage die to your martial arts die on your damage rolls. So it is just for that one specific weapon. So with my monk, once he actually hits level 3, he's still level 2 right now. Uh, once he actually hits level 3, I'm going to be specializing into darts. So he'll get to roll a d4 for his dart damage, plus his martial arts die for the damage with his darts. But he won't be able to add that extra damage with daggers, hand axes, or light hammers even though he can still treat those as monk weapons for thrown weapon attacks. Right. Once you finally get to specialize, you're going to be dealing out a good bit of damage, and I like how that goes. And again, this is something we'll be talking about is the amount of ammo or things. So Ian had picked the dart that he plans to specialize in, and this is good too because, again, this is something where, like, his arrows and shots, if they hit, he can recover them. If he misses, then he has to do a quick investigation check to see if he can find and recover those lost items. So again, that's a way you can play with your thrown weapons as well as how easy they are to recover or not recover. Critical failures, maybe perhaps they break, anything like that. So these are things you want to consider as you either play or your players play these out as well. So yeah, And whenever you're talking about these particular weapons, daggers and darts are a D4, hand axes and light hammers are a D6, an extra one or 2d4, or 1 or 2d6, you know, that's an extra 5 to 7 damage per round. That does add up, but it's not huge in the great scheme of things. It's subtle, and it's definitely a bigger swing early on. Once you start hitting, you know, level 10, 12, 15, not near as much. But again, that's kind of, in this case, 5e, the monks kind of run the opposite way, where like in 3rd edition, they start off really slow, and they take forever and then they quickly build up speed the monks in fifth edition kind of flag a little bit towards the end yeah they do their later class abilities are kind of a resounding meh to quote you back whenever we were doing our champion fighter it's a very technical term all right moving along i actually gave two abilities at sixth level as well just because they both 
have that feel and I just couldn't make one or the other. Maybe we can talk it out and decide to remove one of these. I don't know, but we'll discuss it as we get done with it. So the first one is Flurry of Knives. So starting at 6th level, you basically get to use your Flurry of Blows for thrown weapon attacks only with your specialized weapon. Again, this is niche. It fits. It feels good. It goes within the theme of the character and how you're building it. I've got no real issue with this at all. If anything, and I will bring it up after the next thing, I think we should probably move this to level 8 would be the only thing I would change. The only reason why it's sitting at 6 is because these are the levels when monks get their stuff. This is me following the framework of the monks get their tradition things at these specific levels. It's a homebrew podcast. If we're not going to take the rules and ball them up and punt them when we see fit, then... (laughs) But yeah, I get the reasoning. And again, I will give my thought behind this after we cover the next one. As you said, you did put two in one level. So I think the extra thing will bump up. But let's go ahead and cover the second. The second one is called Tactical Retreat. So starting at 6th level, when a creature moves adjacent to you, you may use your reaction and spend 4 key points to disengage, move up to 10 feet, and make a single thrown weapon attack against that creature. If your attack is successful, the creature's movement is reduced to 0 until the start of its next turn. Once you use this ability, you cannot use it again until you've completed a long rest. This is a great, simple crowd control ability. You use it in a pinch. You don't get to use it every combat, so you kind of have to pick when you're going to do it. But when you need to like get yourself out of trouble in a pinch... Right, and because if you're specializing in thrown weapons, you're not necessarily going to be up in melee very often, and you don't want to be up in melee very often. And so you're not going to be able to utilize your stunning strike, which really is the bread and butter of the monk. And so... Because of that, because you don't have access to that stunning strike, I wanted to throw this in there to give you a nope out of here button. And because of how much it lets you do, it lets you disengage, it lets you move, and it lets you attack as a reaction. That's why it costs four key points. And that is a big spend, especially when you get it, because you get it at six level and you only have six key points at six level. So it is definitely something that you have to be careful when you use it, if you use it, because you're going to lose a lot of additional features to your class if you blow through all of your key points too quick. Right, so this does encourage some resource management as well, which I really like. Anytime you make the characters roleplay at the table, or anytime you make them think about what they're doing, because again, as we said before, magic always comes at a cost. Everything always comes at a cost. So anytime you have to consider if it's worth paying that price, I always enjoy that at the table. All right, so you said you had some comments to make on this. So what have you got? I think the Flurry of Knives, we should move it to a level 8 or even maybe a level 10. And yes, it's an extra skill or it's an extra feature that we're fitting in there. But what I'm seeing here is, again, with the Flurry of Knives, you get two extra attacks with your monk proficient weapon. So that's basically three attacks that you're going to have your weapon damage plus your martial art die. That puts out a lot of damage to the table very, very quickly. And at those numbers, I think we want to move that to a slightly higher level would be the thing I'm looking at. So looking back at it and looking at it from your perspective, from judging from your argument, I want to leave it here because they get flurry of blows at level two. So they already have that ability at second level to spend a key point 
and make two extra unarmed attacks if they take the attack action. But they're doing this at range as well. Right. So what I am going to propose is we bump up the key point cost. We bump it up to two key points. That sounds fair. I would be okay with that. And if we wanted to move something, I would actually prefer moving tactical retreat because of how big it is. That is fairly big. Yeah, so I like that. I like at level six making that a two key point cost and then moving tactical retreat to maybe level eight, maybe seven. And again, it's whether you're getting the extra bit at level six, seven, or eight. Either way, we're giving them a little extra. So maybe that's something to uh, prompt the character not quite to multi-class so early if they do choose to multi-class. I don't know. So I'm just going to tentatively change that to eighth level for tactical retreat. Okay. I may revisit it. I may just decide to delete it. I may just decide to be rid of it. I wouldn't get rid of that. I really like that as a feature for the monk. At 10th level, that gives you a panic button to kind of get out of trouble. That feels good. Even at 8th level, that feels good for the cost. It's just that it does so much. And I just looking at it and rereading it, it just feels like it does too much for class ability. Even for something that you can only do once per day. I say we make it a solitaire. I really like that. Of the two, I prefer that one to the Flurry of Blows. The Phantom Knives or Flurry of Knives sounds good. It feels good. But I don't know. I want that character to be able to, to squeeze out of trouble if they need. Okay. I'm going to leave it in there at 8th level for now. And I may revisit it later. The reason I don't want to push it to 10th level is because you get your next ability at 11th level. And I don't, right. I don't want back-to-back levels where you get archetype features. That's fair. So I think eight feels good. And the other thing I was going to say with the Flurry of Blows is with the Flurry of Knives, you are getting weapon damage versus unarmed damage. And depending on what you choose for your specialized thrown weapon, that can be a considerable difference. Right. Because get your extra attack at fifth level. So if you use your Flurry of Knives making four attacks in a round, and so you're going to be potentially throwing out an extra 4d4 or 4d6, depending on your specialized weapon, on top of your 4d6 martial arts die damage. Right. I mean, I'm all for throwing a brick of dice at the table. I mean, nothing makes me happier, but... Yeah, so you can basically, if you're able to hit with all four attacks, you basically drop the equivalent of a fireball on a single target at six level for two key points. It ends up, if you're using hand axes or light hammers, then you're going to be doing 8d6 damage, either slashing or bludgeoning damage. Yeah, that's why I said those numbers start running up really, really fast. And like you said, it's like dropping a fireball, and the wizards get their fireball. At fifth level. At fifth level. But the fireball does have splash damage, and that is always a consideration for your wizards. Absolutely. And on top of that, the damage isn't magical, Unless the weapons are magical. Correct. And so once you start getting to 6th level and higher, you start running into the monsters that have resistance to non-magical damage. And the key-empowered strikes that you get as a class feature at level 6 don't extend to weapon attacks. They're specifically your unarmed attacks are treated as magical weapons. So yes, you do have your potential to drop 8d6 if you can hit on Four D20 rolls with a ranged weapon. I've seen the dice do crazier things. Well, yeah, I have two. And I'm assuming that your monk is going to have your decks just about maxed out by level six, I'd imagine. But yeah, you do have that potential to either do 8D6 or 4D6 plus 4D4, which average damage would be 28 
for all D6s and 24 for D6s plus D4s. That sounds about right, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's a lot of damage. But, again, now that we bump this up to cost two key points, whenever you get it at six level, you can do this three times and then you're completely out of key points. Right, yeah. So that bumping that cost up definitely did a lot better to balance that. And I think that makes it a more correct fit. Yeah, I like that better. So moving along, the ability you get at 11th level is called Fan of Knives. Yes, I did draw that from World of Warcraft. And no, I'm not going to change it. So your hands... At least you admit your plagiarism. It's not plagiarism, it's recycling. Oh, okay, fair enough. Your hands blur as you pepper your enemies with steel. Starting at 11th level, you may spend four key points as an action to make a number of thrown weapon attacks up to your dexterity modifier against one or more creatures within 20 feet of you. You can only use your master thrower specialized weapons for this ability. Once you use this ability, you cannot use it again until you've completed a long rest. So this is your burst damage ability. Oh yeah, if you mix this with the flurry of knives at the same time, now you are throwing a brick of d6s on the table. You can't combine them, because in order to use flurry of knives, you have to use the attack action with a thrown weapon. And with fan of knives, you're using your action plus your key points to do this specific action, which is not the attack action. Okay, good. I was going to say, because that's so, going to no, throw you can, a you whole cannot, brick at the table. <laughs> you cannot combine fan of knives with flurry of knives. Okay, great. And I was going to say, even if you were doing that in a pinch, doing it once per long rest, I would be okay with allowing, because at that point, two and six, that's still using half your key points at 11, more than half at 11th level. Well, you would be using six key points total. Be using right. Four at, for Fan of Knives, two for Flurry of Knives. So at 11th level, that's more than half. But you would also be making seven attacks. That would be your supernova moment where it's like, okay, I've got this. And then, you know, your character collapses in exhaustion. But... What an amazing scene it would be. It's like that scene near the end of V for Vendetta, the My Turn. Yes, I love that scene. But yeah, so at level 11, you should pretty much have maxed out decks. So that means that once per day, you can spend four key points and make five thrown weapon attacks as an action. That's what this ability does. Right, and just hope you don't roll all ones at that point. Yeah, you definitely want to use this at a point when you can get advantage on something. Absolutely, yeah. Let's say, let's say the barbarian has that dude grappled. Time to turn him into a pincushion. Or say the wizard cast web on somebody or what have you. And the other thing is you have to be within 20 feet. So that is the small range increment on all of these thrown weapons. So you have to be within that 20 foot range. So you have to get kind of close in order to use this ability. But that's what you get at 11th level. And then finally, the last one you get is called Death by a Thousand Cuts. Through long years of training and focus, you have mastered the ability to harness and project your key. Starting at 17th level, as long as you have unspent key points, you may create ethereal weapons to throw at your foes. These weapons take the form and damage die of your specialized thrower weapon, are treated as plus two magical weapons, and deal force damage. So James took some issue with this before we started. A little bit. We debated this, particularly with thrown weapons. I think your ammo and your resource management is a thing. So I was thinking like maybe one key point per 10 you threw. Ian brought up some points that kind of balances it. He mentioned, you know, the ranger with a bag of holding for a quiver, which, okay, fair enough. Right. And so you're still having resource management because you still have a finite pool of key points. 
and you're going to be able to use those key points for a lot of stuff. And so you have to decide what's more important, using my key points for my monk abilities or retaining my key points so that I can keep my ethereal weapons. Right. That is good balance. And two, at this time, I'm sure by 17th level, you've either crafted or probably purchased some form of Mastercraft or Magical Throne weapon. Yeah. And one of the arguments that I was making in support of this is they're plus two magical weapons. And James was taking some issue with, you know, just automatically having these plus two weapons. And I was comparing this to a fighter who has a plus two longbow or a ranger that has a plus two longbow. And so with a longbow, you end up having a much larger range. So the monk, you know, you have a 20 foot short range, a 60 foot long range. You can't attack anything more than 60 feet away from you. Whereas with a longbow, I think you get a 200 foot short increment range. I thought it was 120. No, that's a short bow, I think. Oh, okay. I could be wrong. The longbow was 60, 120, and I think the longbow is 120, 200, 300? No. The longbow is 150, 600, and the short bow is 80, 320. Gotcha. So the longbow, you have 150 foot range for your short increment. So you can attack things with your plus two weapon twice per turn out to 150. So with this, you're still limited to a 20 foot range, 60 feet if you take the sharpshooter feet, but only if you're using darts because daggers, hand axes, and light hammers aren't ranged weapons. They're melee weapons with a thrown property. So the sharpshooter feet doesn't cover them. Sharpshooter feet, rules as written, only covers darts, which is why my monk is specializing into darts. I was going to say, if you go back and reference, you know, one of our earlier episodes when we dealt with a champion, with the fighter or the champion with its action surge, you're getting, if they had said plus two longbow, they'd be getting four longbow attacks per turn, where your monk using either the fan of knives or flurry of knives would be getting four to six, but again, at a much shorter range. So yeah, actually, you know, that, that does balance correctly, I think. It sounds a bit much on the surface, but again, at closer investigation, the math holds up. And then add on top of that, a just baseline plus two weapon is a rare quality magic weapon. And so you're going to be starting to reasonably get them at like level eight, level nine, somewhere in that range, maybe even a little bit earlier, depending on how generous your DM is. And so making this a plus two weapon, it's not as powerful as a weapon could be at this point. You know, you can have a paladin with a holy avenger. That's a plus five. Right. Most of your martial classes at this point are going to have either a plus three weapon or a plus two weapon that deals extra stuff. And this is just a plus two weapon that deals force damage instead of piercing, bludgeoning, or slashing damage. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. And so that's literally just what it is. And as long as you have unspent key points, granted at 17th level, you're going to have a 17 key point pool. And I can't remember. Key points recover on a short rest... Or do they recover on a long rest? I thought they recover on a long rest, but I could be mistaken. It is a short or long rest. You must spend at least 30 minutes of the rest meditating to regain your key points. So depending on how sadistic your DM is, there is a chance that you could be in the middle of regaining your key points 
and then a wandering band of monsters comes upon you. And then so your short rest is interrupted, your meditation is interrupted, you don't get your key points back, and you don't get to finish your short rest. But it is definitely something that you would have to trust your party to keep watch while you meditated so that you could recover your key points. Yeah, we'd never have a sadistic DM who messed up your resting cycles at all. That'd never happen. No. No, James. You would never do that. Ever. Right, so that pretty much wraps up what I've got for The Way of the Swallow. And it definitely serves its purpose. It was intended as a class that can really just utilize thrown weapons and let you play with a thrown weapon class in 5e word that isn't really an option in any of the classes or archetypes as written in the books. Yeah, I was actually looking back. The halflings in 3 and 3.5 actually got like a plus 1 to thrown weapon attack. A which plus 2. Was plus 2? Yes. Which they completely nixed from 5th edition. And as you said, it seems they took out even like thrown improvised weapon as a thing in 5th edition, which... I've seen thrown weapons definitely turn the table wildly one direction or the other. Maybe that's a reason why they tried to take it out, I'm not sure, but it was definitely something they left behind. So, moving on to the other monk tradition that I came up with. In my homebrew world, the dwarves and the gnomes are the two races that are native to the main continent of Astragar. And I wanted to have dwarf monks, because that's a combination that you don't really see very often. You had your dwarf luchador. I will acknowledge it. It was amazing, but (laughs) you don't really see dwarf monks. They're a very strength-based race. They are a race that by lore is very martial weapons and armor and very metallic, I would almost say. And the concept of a dwarf who would willingly walk out onto the battlefield without armor on was kind of baffling in a wonderful way, and I wanted to see how it would do. Yeah, I'm right there with you again. Yeah, as you said, the dwarves tend to be definitely more like your martial, your fighty types. They're your clerics, they're your warriors, they're barbarians, paladins. You don't even really see a lot in the way of the dwarf magic casters, honestly. And so leading into this, that you had this way of the Obsidian Fist, which I think is absolutely inspired. And again, that comes back to those old versions of the tour books, the old D&D pulp novels, where being a monk wasn't necessarily staying in a temple and studying and being peaceful, but it was mastery of your body and your surrounding and prowess and inner strength and just all of those things that are stout and solid. And so this feels Absolutely perfect. I read this and I actually got excited. I want to play an Obsidian Fist Dwarf. I really do. So I actually did place racial prerequisites to this particular one. The prerequisites are Dwarf, Gnome, or Earth Genasi. Because you have to have that racial core attachment to the element of Earth. And dwarves and gnomes being subterranean, they're miners, they are diggers, they have that deep racial tie to the earth and then earth genasi being half earth gin and so they have that genetic tie to the element of earth and that is a tie that is critical for the working of this class according to lore if you decided to use this at your table you could completely ignore that but in my world if you wanted to play an obsidian fist monk you would have to be a dwarf a gnome or an earth genasi 
And again, I'm okay with this. This makes sense. You live in the Earth. You're going to embody everything about the Earth. I mean, this is very much referencing Avatar. These are very much obviously your Earthbenders. And so Absolutely. they take their strength from the ground and surroundings with them. It almost borders on some shamanistic ideas. So like I said, I really think this feels great. And so going ahead and diving right on in. At third level, you gain some bonus proficiencies. You gain proficiency with war picks. And they're considered monk weapons for you. You also gain proficiency with Stonecutter's tools. And you learn the bonus language Primordial. Specifically Terran, so you can speak with Earth Elementals. All uh, of that sounds perfectly okay. It's a good flavor. Gives some good RP options. There's nothing crazy or, or wildly out of kilter on this one. So yeah, this, this all sounds... If this were still 3.5, they would just get Terran. Yeah. But because they combined all of the elemental languages together into Primordial for 5th edition, you gain proficiency with Primordial. Yeah, so like I said, there's nothing too far out of the pale for this. this these all sound like a good, solid intro to your archetype type features, so I'm, I'm happy with these. And then the second thing that you get is Stone Shard. So starting when you choose the tradition at 3rd level, you can draw upon the power of the Earth, materializing shards of obsidian to hurl at your enemies. You gain a new attack option that you can use with the attack action. This special attack is a ranged attack with a range of 30 feet. You're proficient with it. You get to add your dex modifier to its attack and damage rolls. Its damage is either bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing, your choice. And the damage die is d4, increases as your martial arts die increases. The projectile is considered a magical weapon for purposes of overcoming damage resistance. At the end of your turn, each projectile you throw crumbles away to find sand and then if you use your attack action on your turn and use this special attack as part of it you can spend one key point to make this special attack twice as a bonus action so you're getting to use the flurry of blows feature as part of this uh, once you gain the extra attack feature the special attack can be used for any of the attacks you make as part of the attack action i literally lifted this from the sun soul monk in Xanathar's Guide, and I changed the damage type from Radiant to Bludgeoning, Piercing, Slashing. Yeah, again, this makes sense. You're using your Flurry, but it's only for D4. It's nothing too beefy. You're not going to throw anything. If I was going to add anything, like it would be further on. Maybe that could shatter and deal a little bit of area damage. But again, that would just purely be flavor later on down the road, just if you were going to add anything at all to it, which it doesn't really need. Yeah. And like I said, this is me lifting an already published ability and just changing the damage type on it. Yeah, I'm so. perfectly good with that. So the next thing you get at level six, Obsidian Flesh. Starting at six level, you can draw on the power of Earth to bolster your defenses. As a bonus action, you can cause your skin to harden. And for 10 minutes or until dismissed, you gain plus two AC and resistance to non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, slashing. Bonus increases to 3 at 12th level and 4 at 18th level. While it's active, and that I may remove this part, while it's active, you gain advantage on saving throws against force movement and being knocked prone. Um, yeah, that last bit makes it a little bit much. I think getting a solid plus 2 or more to your AC is plenty. But again, this is the whole, the dwarf comes out and... I am earth, I am stone, and standing there. The wind may blow, the sea may rage, but the mountain stands firm. Exactly. All of you undisciplined folk have your metal armor and smith. I am armor. I absolutely love that as a concept. Continuing on with this, you may choose 
to dismiss your obsidian flesh as a bonus action, causing shards of obsidian to shatter and fly away from you, dealing damage equal to your martial arts die plus your wisdom modifier to all creatures within 10 feet of you. Creatures affected in this way may make a dexterity saving throw to take half damage. This damage may be either bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing your choice, but all projectiles must have the same damage type. The shards are treated as magical weapons for the purposes of overcoming damage resistance. You may choose to not have your flesh detonate when you dismiss it, and it does not detonate if it is allowed to run to its full duration and expire. Once you use the ability, you cannot use it again until you've finished a long rest. I like this. I would actually almost say if something happens and drops you to zero hit points while that's active, it detonates as well. That kind of reminds me of some of the old mobs in Warhammer. They have a specialized armor that they could use. That sounds like this. That would detonate. And if they were taken out or knocked unconscious, that would detonate on its own. Yeah, I could add that in. Plus what that's going to do, it's going to make you mindful of where you position your character, particularly with your hit points. So if you're getting wailed upon, you're not going to like run behind your group and say, hey, I'm safe now and I'm fine because you could just become a living bomb really easy. Yeah, because arrows exist. I want to leave. I would almost prefer removing the scaling increase to AC to leave the advantage on saving throws against force movement and being knocked prone. Okay, so just keep it at a solid plus two. Keep it. It's just plus two. I'd be okay with that. Because, and add on top of that, if you're a monk and you're using your unarmored defense, so you're going to be getting your dex mod plus your wisdom mod plus 10 for your AC, you can really, really ramp up your AC pretty quick with good ASIs and with get something like bracers of defense that give you a plus two, a ring of protection that gives you a plus one or a plus two. You can really stack the AC really quick with a monk. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I like that. And then, yeah, so if you start getting those higher levels, then you're going to be near untouchable. So yeah, Critical I'm, hits are nothing. And actually, I think since you mentioned that, removing this gain resistance to non-magical damage, replace that with the passive effect for adamantium armor, where critical hits are turned into normal hits. I would actually Ooh. prefer that. Prefer um, that too. To gaining flat resistance to non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, slashing damage. Because that's the effect of the stone skin spell, which is a fourth level spell, which at sixth level, nobody has access to. Right. And so that's why I think that particular part of this might be a little bit overpowered. And so I would actually think that that would be a good way to balance that. That sounds reasonable. I can back that. All right. And that would still have that feel that... You're immune to critical hits and you have advantage on saving throws against force movement and being knocked prone. That gives you that feel of being that solid bulwark. I am here and you aren't getting by. That feels very correct. The phrase, the mountain stands, it just resonates everything about this archetype. Absolutely. Okay, so the next thing that you get, Fists of Stone. At 11th level, you gain the ability to focus... The earth power you draw into yourself into your fists, causing your hands to become encased in jagged shards of obsidian. While your obsidian flesh is active, you gain a second martial arts die to all damage rolls with your unarmed strikes, and you may choose to change the damage type of your unarmed strikes to piercing or slashing. Additionally, if you choose to detonate your obsidian flesh, it automatically deals maximum damage to all targets struck. Those who succeed on their dexterity saving throws still take half damage. This needs to be limited to once per long rest. It is limited to once per long rest because it only happens while Obsidian Flesh is active. 
and obsidian okay. flesh is limited to once per long rest. Per long rest. Okay. That could get out of hand fairly quick, but again, keeping it limited to once per long rest, I can see that. And that gives you that extra, do I detonate it or not? Right. And then two, also, if we're having it so where it detonates if you drop below zero or two zero, that could actually hit your party as well at maximum damage. So that does give it a little bit of a, uh, a liability to it as well. So I think that helps keep it in check. And because now you're dealing double martial arts dice, you know, I think that's going to be a D8 at 11th level. I'm a one-man party kill. 11th level is when it scales up from D6 to D8. So you're going to be dealing 16 plus your wisdom modifier to everything around you when you detonate. Everything within 10 feet. That can become super dangerous really fast. Someone's losing a favorite pet, I guarantee (laughs) So if you have max wisdom, you're dropping 21 points of damage to everything in 10 feet. And then last one is one with the mountain. At 17th level, you have reached full attunement with the primal forces of Earth. As an action, you can transform yourself into an Earth elemental for one minute. You may dismiss this form as a bonus action. If dismissed, or if your elemental form is reduced to zero hit points, it detonates as your obsidian flush does. Except that it affects all creatures within 30 feet of your location and deals 3d10 plus your wisdom modifier and damage. The DC for the dexterity save to take half damage remains unchanged. You may choose to not have your elemental form detonate when you dismiss it as a bonus action. Once you use this ability, you must complete a long rest before you use it again. This sounds great. I've got nothing really I'd want to change with this. It's limited. It comes with a little bit of liability, so you have to watch what you're doing. A lot of really fun roleplay possibilities. This feels correct. I don't know. This is just, like I said, this whole build you came up with, I think, is really inspired. Kind of really want to play with it a lot. I really had a lot of fun putting it together, and it just felt right, you know? This this is an example where everything kind of just clicks together, and this, absolutely. This is definitely one of your better creations, I think. And then just drawing a comparison here, the circle of the moon druids can blow two charges of their wild shape to transform into an elemental at 10th level as opposed to 17th level, but they get all of their wild shape charges back on a short rest. So if you were able to take multiple short rests, a druid would be able to do this multiple times per day, minus the boom at the end. But But the boom makes everything better. So, yeah, that's what I got for today. I like it. I mean, I think this is a good example. I think uh, hopefully we inspire some people to at least try or tinker with a monk a bit. As always, you know, take one of these, roll them out on a table, see how it does. If you like it or you don't like it, message us and tell us what works or what doesn't work or what you think you might want to change. Yeah, and you can send those comments to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com or as a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. I'm still doing daily prompt posts with the prompts from my Shakespearean Insult Page-A-Day calendar, so check that out and let us know if you come up with anything off of that as well, because we would really love to hear what you guys are coming up with with the stuff we're putting out. Absolutely, yeah. We'd love to hear what you have. Those prompts are a lot of fun. Uh, Great inspiration just to come up with some random ideas. Something funny, something serious, it can be whatever you want, but it's a really good idea just kind of get the motor starting if you ever have that writer's block. You can find us on most podcasting platforms now, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, iHeartRadio. If you would, leave us a like and a rating on whatever platform that you choose. It would really mean a lot to us. And thank you for joining us again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for the Undercommon Taste podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to your friends. You can find our past episodes hosted on Podbean and available through Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. New episodes go live on Wednesdays, and the write-ups for our homebrewed content are published on Fridays. Join us on Facebook or Instagram at Undercommon Taste, or on Twitter under the handle at UCT Homebrew. Links to all of our content can be found on these platforms. If you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or ideas, please send them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. Our theme music is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Again, thank you for listening and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.